0: Today's episode is about health literacy, one of my favorite topics, and I'm going to give you concrete things you can do with your very next patient or client to help with health literacy. Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. Anne-Marie Liebel. This is 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication from Health Communication Partners, an independent health equity-focused communication and education consultancy. Today's episode sponsored by Maven Roth Group, who thanks our healthcare heroes for their hard work during this difficult time. Maven Roth can help take some of the work off your already full plate, because they've been teaming up with hospitals and practices for years, helping them communicate with their audiences through print, social media, and more. Now, let Maven Roth help you create and share your COVID-19 messaging. Visit mavenroth.com today. So health literacy, you might know, refers to to the ways that ordinary people interact with the specialized language of health and healthcare. The attention is most often on the clinical environment uh, with good reason, right? There's a lot of specialized language and specialized information that you need to be able to successfully navigate the healthcare system wherever you are. It's also very important To public health. And our friends in public health obviously have been very busy um, since the pandemic broke out trying to let us all know about COVID, uh, how it spreads, keeping us up to date with um, how it works, how it doesn't work, how to keep ourselves and our communities safe, right? How vaccines work, what they do and don't do. And they want everyone to know about all of this and making sure that it's not just insiders who have this very, very important information. It's not just those in power who have this very important information, but everybody, everybody needs to know this. and That's a big health literacy issue. In this way, health professionals, how you write and speak affects health equity. That's why health literacy is so important now. Let's remember too that Everybody is busy all the time. And everybody learns differently. And everybody needs reminding of things now and then. And everybody makes sense of the world from their own perspective. And everybody is distracted sometimes more than others. So this is why I've written for you 11 things you can do to help with health literacy right now with the very next patient or client that you deal with. Because again, how you write and speak affects health equity. The core of this episode is from one of our very first broadcasts way back in October 2017 and the before times. So let's go there now. Health literacy is increasingly being recognized as a multifaceted phenomenon beyond an individual's set of skills. There is awareness that health literacy involves interactions, interactions among individuals, but also interactions between people and texts. Now, this could be an oral text, a conversation, a written text, or even a multimedia text. I'll get a little bit more into all of these later. But this is a good thing when you're hoping to educate a patient all these interactions. So here are some research-based steps you and your colleagues can take now to prepare for patients who have limited literacy. And these go to 11. Number one, don't panic. First of all, literacy is complex. Everyone has a range of literacy skills and processes. Consider smartphones. They're everywhere, and they require reading and writing. If your patient can use a smartphone, they have some level of literacy. But even people who are labeled as illiterate have sophisticated ways of reading a text or image, keeping track of items, measuring and weighing, estimating and calculating. Only a few of these could possibly be captured by any given assessment. So don't panic at your patient's score. Number two, don't let a label stick to your patient. Researchers are emphatic about the fact that a health literacy assessment score is not a proxy for a patient's education level, but it can still wind up being treated that way. I don't know what assessment the nurse manager's patient had taken, but don't fall into the trap of thinking your patient is uneducated or somehow deficient if they struggle with reading and writing. Approach your patient as someone who uses language in sophisticated ways in their everyday life, because it's true. Speak to them with this assumption in mind. You'll feel less disconnected from your patient, and you'll be able to focus on the task at hand rather than on some perceived deficiency. Number three, start with what your patient brings to the table. If your patient comes to you with any information, items, or written material, talking about these is a good place to start. These will be items with which they are already familiar, so there may be less nervousness about their meaning or significance. Number four, figure out where literacy is absolutely necessary. Get clear for your sake and your patience on what parts of their visit or procedure require them to read or write. Ask yourself these questions. What reading and writing activities could be delayed? For instance, what could patients fill out or read at home with a friend? What reading and writing activities could be eliminated altogether? For example, is a patient being asked to maybe write information on a form that has already been provided to you or that's available on his or her EMR? Number five, have information available in multiple modes. In literacy terms, modes are ways of communicating meaning. Think of how videos combine images and sound, so those would be two different modes. One of the most powerful ways you can help patients learn is through mixing your modes. This can be simple and unfussy. For example, take a written text you use frequently in your practice and read it aloud. The voice recorder on your phone works just fine. Turn it into an audio file. Maybe try reading with a little expression. Post this audio file on your website, or you might offer to send it to patients' phones for them to listen to, even while they're with you. You only have to do this once, and it'll help many patients. Number six, have a list of websites you trust. These would be sites you believe are communicating reliable and up-to-date information. Email these to patients and post them on your site. You get bonus points if you occasionally visit a site together side-by-side with a patient and elicit their feedback. Number 7. Have a list of apps you can recommend. Apps tend to be graphics-heavy. They're also interactive. Both of these traits are beneficial for learning. Apps can also be less intimidating than pages of solid prose. If you're not already asking your patients if they use apps and which ones, do that. Keep a list, both of the good and not so good ones. Share the good ones with other patients, and be prepared to talk about the ones you don't recommend and why. Number eight, collect other multimedia recommendations. Keep an update. A list of podcasts and videos that explain your area of expertise from a patient perspective. Post links to these on your site or share them through social media or both. Don't know any? Ask your colleagues. Or post a question to an online community and then share with them what you collected. Number nine, know your digital communication. Be clear with your patients what you use email for and how frequently because everyone's different here. Tell patients if there is a relationship between your email and then any patient portal they might be using because some of them play together kind of nicely and some of them not so much. Remind patients how you and your practice use social media. Again, everyone's a bit different on this. Let them know if and how you use text messaging. And then, of course, consider the patient side. Can patients email you? Can they text your practice for information or support for whatever action you need them to undertake? What might they expect to see on your social media accounts? Number 10, audio recording. Yes, patients' audio recording doctor encounters is one of those topics that people have strong opinions on, Whatever your opinion, it's legal in 39 states for patients to record their time with you without letting you know, so they may be doing it or thinking about doing it anyhow. If you are okay with patients recording their time with you, I suggest you bring it out into the open and invite them to do so if they wish. Number 11. Take a look at your written materials. How long has it been since you looked at the written materials you give to patients? Make sure written materials are accompanied by images and broken up into small paragraphs. Everyone finds this more manageable and memorable. How you physically handle and talk about written materials also matters to the meaning that people take from them. Handle a document with seriousness and people will notice. So highlight or underline important passages and talk about them or point to them when you're there with your patient. These 11 hints play well with what you already value about patient-centered care and good communication overall. The more ways you can communicate a message, the more tools you're offering your patients to learn in a way and in a context that supports them best. If you like what you're hearing... Help me out by doing the rate and review thing on iTunes. You know, give it stars, write something in the box. I read it. Thanks. This has been Dr. Avery Liebel for 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication. Thanks for listening to 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication from Health Communication Partners, LLC. Find us at healthcommunicationpartners.com.